there. Welcome to episode 8 of Death by Paper Guts, a podcast about stencils and the people who are always excited to find loose change on the sidewalk. I'm your host, Joseph Richards. You can find me on Instagram at InThePerimeter. Today I'm joined by Nzob We Trust, a stencil artist out of Portland, and this one was really interesting because he's only been doing this a few years, and in my opinion, is already doing really great work. When we get into how he got started, his progression as a stencil artist, and how he chose his name, which is something I always forget to ask people. And on that note, to all my fellow Texas stencil artists, I have to apologize in advance for uh, butchering some of your Instagram names. If I were a wise man, I would have stopped and looked them all up while we were talking about it, but I have never been accused of being a wise man. So I did point him in the right direction. After we stopped recording, though, we spent a few minutes. uh, After we stopped swapping some IG names like they were sports cards. And, uh, well, quick sidebar. Have any of y'all been keeping up with how crazy sports cards are right now? So I went through a big 70s and 80s basketball card phase a few years ago. And now I definitely wish that I had finished up some of those sets back then. Because prices are crazy right now. But hey, you didn't come here to listen to me talk about my sweet basketball collection, did you? Or did you? No? Okay. Well, let's get to Zob then. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to the show, man. Appreciate you coming on. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So, this is the question I start everyone off with. How did you get into stencil art? Well, when I was living in Bogota, Colombia in South America, I became obsessed with street art. I grew up in Portland, Oregon, where there's just so much greenery, whether that be trees and just natural areas surrounding everything. Moving to a city that was pretty much all concrete you really have this uh, gap or missing feeling of that nature aspect. So being surrounded by art sort of fills that void. And it's just so much more prevalent that it became something I was fascinated with and a great way to explore a city. So I started uh, walking around or taking buses just to find new street art pieces and murals. And it really became an addiction taking photos of it or just standing in awe of paintings sometimes four to six stories tall and seeing how artwork that I was used to seeing at only the scale of one to two feet being able to translate into these massive walls that kind of stand in perpetuity and have such a big impact on the community. So after that, I spent some time living in Australia, and that was just after Trump was elected. And to keep your visa when you're living overseas, if you do political acts, you can get in trouble and have your visa revoked. So I was trying to speak out about the separations of families at the southern border so i was trying to find some outlet for that without speaking out too vocally and risk losing my visa so i started stenciling and i came up with that love over hate protest sign and started putting that up and it really went from there that's cool so you've only been doing this i mean that's not that long a few years then 
yeah, about two and a half to three years, somewhere in there. Wow. Well, you've made you've made quite a progression in that short amount of time from what I've seen. Wow, that's that's really impressive. So being in Australia, that's kind of like I feel like that's maybe kind of like the mecca of stenciling. Did you follow any of those guys that are over there? No, to be honest, until I moved back, I didn't really connect with any of them. I I moved over there uh, because of a relationship. A, a woman I met in South America invited me to come live with her out there. And so I jumped at the offer and was immediately blown away by the works of people like Vans the Omega and Soffles and uh, just countless people that it's just a such a high quality of work over there um and i got a position working as a photographer and marketer for a muralist company so I started connecting directly with the artists and at that point i had no artistic ability and i think that's kind of common among a lot of stencilers who couldn't draw or paint that well to save their life. And so I wanted some way to be able to contribute. And so I started trying to translate some of my photography into stencils because it was something digestible and really just felt like time and patience and being able to cut straight lines, which was something I could do and a lot easier than understanding the whole process of creating art. Mm hmm. Yeah, like all the way from scratch, like learning to draw. You can you can wrap your head around cutting this out, but maybe learning how to draw is a little steeper task. Yeah, and I don't maybe I was thinking it about about it as an easier way to go about it, but looking back, I think it's just such a different mindset to be able to take that time of spending, you know, sometimes 10, 14 hours a day just cutting something and being able, if it's really detailed, only making the progress of a few inches. So it's just such a different process, but it's one that appealed to me. And like being on this podcast, I've been a huge uh, listener of these. I'm usually listening to podcasts instead of music. So it became a format that I could, I don't know, kind of dive into. And like in your episode with Mowgli, that idea of therapy, just kind of reaching this Zen point where all you need to do is cut that next line and really dive into these tiny forms. It became sort of an addiction. Thought about like right before I started this, I was kind of looking around and kind of the advice was, you know, maybe go shorter, like shorter and more often is kind of the trend. Some I mean, you have like the Joe Rogan's that go however long he wants to, two or three hours, because he can just do whatever. But the kind of the advice I saw was like, well, unless you're him, you should do shorter shows. But with this, I felt like the people that are going to be listening to it are going to be other people like us. That And while we're cutting, I figure, you know, it can be kind of however long it is, because we're there for hours. So it's just background noise, really, at that point. So it can be it can be whatever I want it to be. Totally. And connecting with the artists in that intimate way of finding more about their lives or how they got into it is what really makes this show so appealing. You know, if if someone wanted to learn about the process of stenciling, it's pretty abstract to try to explain to someone that, like I've heard you say before, 
hey, I cut holes in paper and then hit it with spray paint. <laughs> it doesn't make a ton of sense, even when you explain it to them or show them a stencil until they have a chance to do it themselves or watch a process video. And still, it's not easy to comprehend like, oh, those little details over there. Yeah, I cut those all by hand and uh, sometimes had to use a magnifying glass like that. That just seems absurd to people. Well, yeah, I was going to say, even if they understand it at some point, that conversation tr- transitions into why and not how. Like, why, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> why would you do this to yourself and not and not how do you do this? Totally. You know, when it gets to that point, there have been some commissions I've worked on where I've spent two to three months on a single piece. And I already know from working with it on Photoshop and Illustrator, I already know how it should look by the time I've started cutting, you know? So to get from that point of seeing it in my head to peeling back those stencils and seeing the final product, that is such a long process. And yes, to our eyes, there's going to be quite a significant difference based on where you spray, what opacity, what lines you chose to cut with slight variations from the guide you're cutting off of. Uh, All of that comes into play, but to a lot of people, that PDF of the high-resolution file might be sufficient for them versus the amount of time that goes into an original work. So it's been such an interesting learning curve in that way, too. Yeah, I've actually seen people do the image like you're talking about and just like glue that onto a piece and sell that. Like, do you do all the mock-up work, but you don't actually cut it out and then paint it, which I guess whatever, but it's, I, I couldn't do that. Like, it's so satisfying, like what you're talking about, when you get done and you peel that, I guess, depending on what it looks like at the end, right? Uh, when you peel that last layer off, that's really so satisfying just because of all the work you put into it. And that's really hard to relay to people. It's really hard to relay that you would put that much time into anything, much less something that seems so trivial to the majority of people we talk to, you know? Yeah. But then you get, so for the people actually cutting and spraying them, that feeling of peeling back the layer, especially once all the paint is on there and you don't know how it's going to look or if there's going to be blots or overspray until you peel it back. I became really addicted to that feeling of just peeling it back and seeing whatever's below and it's pretty stress inducing, but when it goes right, it's <laughs> quite a good high. It's funny. Like I had painted something a couple weeks ago and it came out really well. And I like got done. I run in and show my wife. And of course she's not nearly excited as I am, but it's just that feeling you get when it, when it all comes together is really, uh, it's really unique in my experience. Totally. And I, I now live on my own, but before I was living with a few friends and they had a cat and would just either the cat or one of them going in to look in or dust from the garage I was painting in. Sometimes even when you get finished, you come back after the paint is dried and there's cat hair or dust or any of these things. So there's just so many ways for it to go wrong, but when it goes (laughs) right, it's such a good feeling. Yeah. So how did you how did you learn how to do stenciling? Do you learn online? I guess since you started a little bit later than the most of the other guys I've talked to, there's probably more online resources maybe to get you going. Yeah, I I really 
how I learned and how I still think is the easiest way to learn is just to go on Google Images and find some really basic stencils and just cut them repeatedly until you get the idea of how to cut out shapes, how to control your hand in that way before even thinking about the design aspects or any of that. Because just getting a final product that looks okay is such a good inspiration to keep going versus trying to create your own content is such a big hurdle that a lot of us are still working on to this day and evolving the process and the content and all of that. So it can get so overwhelming in that way. I, I heard you all talking about stencil revolution and the stencil Reddit thread has been a huge help along the way. And it's so varying in terms of quality of responses. Sometimes you'll get really good feedback and other times you'll get people hating or just a series of good job, which really is not helpful. <laughs> you know, I, I want someone to be critical and give me some insight into how I could improve. And maybe I'll disagree with it. But a lot of times it's coming from someone with a lot more experience that can deal with a lot more detail or more layers. And that can just be invaluable insight. I feel like I talk about this with a few people, but it's hard to get that feedback on on social media. Like, I feel like Instagram is not exactly the place for it just because it's such high volume and you're just scrolling. It's basically just, oh, cool. Next one. Cool. Um, Reddit seems like it would be the more appropriate forum. But yeah, like you said, there's I know Nils like comments a lot on there and he always has really great insight. Uh, Mowgli comments on there, too. So, I mean, you have guys like that that are in there, but, you know, there's not a lot of them that can offer that level of, of feedback. Oh, definitely. And with social media, it's really interesting. Like I heard you talking about with Mowgli, when I first started, people were buying my art right after I released it, giving me such positive feedback. But it's sort of a bad feedback loop when it's coming through social media because people want to support your dream and your passion. And that's so disconnected from whatever you're actually creating. So now with uh, COVID and Instagram changing their methods, if you don't have a large audience, they've sort of shaped it like Facebook, where it's only people that already follow you that are seeing your content. And so it's like most of the people who would have bought a painting already have a painting and it's of lower quality than what I'm producing now. So it's just a interesting feedback loop in that way. Huh. I didn't know about that. When did that kind of start changing in the past six months or so but it's it's so different for everyone because the bigger the audience they're feeding you more people but on the smaller end they're trying to make it more like you're seeing the people you already interact with but then that just creates a loop of people who already support you instead of exposing more people so other than when I've had a couple opportunities to paint murals and stuff where there's new people getting to experience it and connect with your brand or when I put up stickers and people connect with it that way, if they kind of want you to pay for advertising and I really have no desire to pay for exposure and so that kind of closes some of the loop unless people are tagging you in things or so just how to get it out there to new audiences without the ability to be in galleries or um, have my work in a couple stores in Portland, but just more opportunities to get more eyes on stuff. Is that a situation where you have to be maybe more strategic with 
the hashtags, like I don't really fuck with those at all. I have like two or three stencil related ones. And of course they're only going to go to the people that are following stencils, which is probably all the people already following me. Kind of what you're <laughs> kind of what you're talking about. So I don't know. Is that a way to kind of get around the algorithm changes? Totally. But <laughs> like, like you, it's one of those things. I want people to see my stuff, but I'm not willing to put in that sort of effort. I'd rather spend my time creating instead of making process videos or researching hashtags. I'd rather be working on the next stencil I'm going to do. So I, I complain about it, but really it's my own doing and I'm okay with that. Cause if, if I can sell more paintings, that's a good thing, but I really don't mind doing landscaping or carpentry and other stuff to pay the bills in between uh, commissions and sales of paintings and stuff. I don't really want to force it. And being able to make masks has been a big advantage during this time. I just wholesale masks and then I use some of my stencil designs and just heat transfer them onto the masks. So that's been popular and a good little filler and they're quick, easy to do and just gives me more time to work on more projects because I, like you said, I'm only three years in and I'm really still trying to learn the process and get the images I need to create the content or uh, stencils or paintings I want. So just always evolving there and if appreciation comes, it comes. But if not, I love the process and love creating things that give people some sort of reaction. I talked to, I think it was Dad Socks when I talked to him. He mentioned having a like a social media uh, consultant to kind of help him manage that kind of the posting and like what time, what what images, kind of that whole process. I don't know what kind of scale you would have to be at to for that to make sense but i know that was something he was looking to looking into or transitioning towards yeah i i think the best way to do it would be to find someone whose content you really like among your friend group or just even in among your followers and stuff and reaching out to them and offering them some amount of money um mm -hmm. at, at this point i'm trying to do art and token tools full-time so I just fill in with other odd jobs I have an uncle who owns a farm out in the country so I'll go build fences or tend to the animals or uh, do landscaping or house cleaning or uh, carpentry jobs rebuilding decks here and there and try to fill that in on weekends which gives me a good 60 hours every week to work on stencils and uh, token tools so I'd rather work more doing things that I like than have a traditional job. And it makes me a little poorer right now, but eventually, hopefully it'll lead to something. If not, I can say I'm spending a lot of time doing things that I enjoy. So that's kind of the method I'm taking. And I'm, I'm one of those people, I had a flip phone until I was like <laughs> 19 or 20, you know, and most of my friends had a smartphone by the time they were 14. So I've, I've been kind of resistant to the social media, but I also realized that it's essential to what we do. And I don't have many other ways to communicate with art buyers or just friends and other people other than that right now. And I'm kind of bad at the communication, so it allows me to push it out to a lot of people all at once. So 
I see the benefits and I, I think that dad's talks idea makes sense, but I just haven't made it enough of a priority at this point, I guess. Yeah, no, I hear you. It's that's funny about the phones. Like I'm probably a little bit older than you, but I didn't have a cell phone until I was 20, maybe 20. And that was only because I went to college out in Lubbock, which is in West Texas in the middle of nowhere. So I needed a phone in case I broke down <laughs> on the uh, 10 hour drive somewhere along the way. But other than that, yeah, I didn't have one. Definitely not in high school. Yeah, I always, I always look at the new phones. There's some where you can only store like a certain amount of numbers. There's no internet, and it'll play podcasts. And I always tell my wife, I'm like, yeah, I want to get one of these. And she's like, no, you don't. It's like you use, you use your phone for so much, you would hate this thing after two days. But I always, uh, I'd like to tell myself I would like it. It's such a negative feedback loop, you know, or... I don't know if that's the right way to explain it, but just I'll get sucked into looking at posts about politics or any of these different things. And it's just, or even just looking at other stencilers work and it's great to have that resource and be able to get maps on my phone when I'm going on a bike ride or figure out what the weather is or Google something really quick. But I, I feel the exact same way. Those minimalist phones, it's almost like you'd have to have both one full working phone for work and other times and another phone just when you need the basics and kind of want to escape and just listen to some podcasts and call people in emergencies and limit it to that. Yeah, I think the one with no functions would be the one I would I would want to carry around with me so I'm not tempted to like mess with it. But that would probably be the opposite of what I would actually need because like if I'm going somewhere I need maps or I'm just so like I don't even think about how dependent I am on all the information on that phone that if it went away you know my wife's probably right like she normally is that I would <laughs> I would hate it <laughs> so I think you're the one stencil artist I follow in Texas I don't know if you'd consider I think his name's TV head uh but yeah yeah he's in Austin yeah but other than that I don't know of many other Texas stencilers I'll send you a couple but yeah, there's there's definitely like in Austin, like I had talked to Dave Lowell. Um, he's been doing it a long time. San Antonio, there's a couple guys, like Scotch Willington, and then it's he's as led on on Reddit, but on Instagram he's what? A S L S X A, something like that, X S A. So there's a few, and then there's another there's a girl in Austin that does a bunch of murals, stencils. There's uh Niz, N I Z. So there's definitely a few in like the bigger cities, but yeah, I don't, I don't think there's many of us. Yeah, I don't think there's many of us kicking around in here. There's another guy in Houston. Um, it's Bobby. Oh, I'm just butchering everybody's fucking name. Bobby, Bobby Texas Art, something like that. But I'll, uh, I'll send him to you. But yeah, there's definitely there's a few of us. So does that work? to your advantage being in a place where there's so few other people doing what you do or does it become more challenging because you have to explain to everyone what stenciling is why why your type of art is exciting i found it to be the latter yeah so i did i did an art walk last fall and yeah that was the challenge it was Oh, you do it with spray paint. Oh, you do it with stencils. And it's, yeah, it's like you're saying, it's like defining all these terms. And then I didn't have any stencils with me because I didn't think about it to like show them like this is what what I'm talking about. So I'm like pulling stuff up on my phone. It was 
a really <laughs> very inefficient process. But yeah, and a lot of those things, people are selling stuff for, you know, 20 bucks, 50 bucks. It's hard to to maybe justify what I think those pieces should cost just because it's hard to it's hard for them to wrap their head around the work that I'm trying to describe in vain. So, yeah. And that when what we were talking about before we went on air about how you end up giving a lot of pieces away, especially when you're just starting out, some of those pieces that now I could whip out in maybe 20 hours were taking me a hundred to 200 hours, you know, just because learning how to cut those complex lines, especially at such a small scale and not wanting to damage what you've already done. You know, if you have two, if you have a straight line next to a bridge, you don't want to accidentally cut across it and ruin the structural integrity of the stencil. So I remember spending just weeks on weeks for a single piece and the idea of selling it for a couple hundred bucks, I'm thinking, well, this there's no way to make a business out of this. I don't. It's an interesting model. Oh yeah, from the the time money perspective. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna get paid like forty cents an hour. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> it's like your own personal sweatshop for art. Yeah. It's. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know how you would scale that. I mean, I know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how many guys are able to do that to scale like that, but. I guess you do commissions. I know Dave in Austin, he does for a long time. He did like corporate murals and stuff like that. And that would kind of fund him to do other stuff. So I guess there's ways around it, but yeah, just, and at the beginning too, I, I, I'm glad I didn't sell any of that because I feel like it would have kept me just making that stuff over and over and thinking that it was actually good. I found an old like memory card this past weekend of, (laughs) of my old stuff. And I was like, Oh, so bad just so and i thought it was like i thought it was great and it was like you like it probably took me weeks and today it would take like an afternoon so yeah it's just funny the progression that maybe you don't even realize it's happening until you you look back at your older stuff totally and i started uh using 0.09 millimeter or maybe it was 0.09 inches but it's a very thick mylar material And it was because I'd seen a video online saying that mylar was a good material to use because it's clear and you can overlay it directly on your image and it can be cleaned and reused however many times you want. So it just seemed like a lot more user-friendly than cutting it out of paper, being able to use it a few times and having it quickly deteriorate. So I went that way, but realized I was using material that was way too thick So it was just taking me so long to cut out every single shape. And I used that material for probably six months before I found stuff that was 0.03 and 0.05, which was just so much easier to cut. It wasn't wearing out blades every 50 lines. And Mm -hmm. it became so much more like paper where the plastic could be reused, but I wasn't fighting it so much. And you could kind of cut it like butter once you found the right pressure level and so much less hand wear of getting so sore from pressing that hard, you know, like using a a cereal box or something like that. And your hand really gets tired after a quick period. You could really extend it, especially if you're doing hand exercises or anything to stay a little bit limber in the fingers, I guess. Yeah, I know guys that use like poster board. I I did that like one time. And I was like it's just too just too thick. It just seemed like 
to, to do, and I probably did like try to do too detailed a piece maybe, but just cutting out the small pieces, man, I was just like, I'm not doing this. <laughs> I'm not doing this ever again. <laughs> yeah. It's such an interesting, uh, back and forth with the level of detail that people do because with your work, I'm surprised that you haven't considered becoming a late in life surgeon. You know, the level of detail that you're going into is just surgical precision. And there's just so few people that can do it. And it's such a balance between detail and making it different than what a machine or computer could do. And it's a it's a fun combination of skills. I really like that. Yeah, oh, I appreciate that. I think it's I just use regular printer paper. So I think that lends it more to me being able to do that. Obviously, they're like more delicate, but I paint them a few times and trash them. So I'm not super worried about that. But yeah, I've tried doing like cardstock and they're more durable, but it just the wear and tear on my hand. I just I would just rather just use as thin as possible. Right. And and go that go that route. But I did try experiment with a laser cut in one piece um, just to see what it would do. And that was interesting to see to see how fine a details that that produces. I mean, I guess I knew that in my head, obviously a laser is going to be better than me, but <laughs> seeing it firsthand is, was pretty, uh, pretty surprising still. You think a laser is better than you? Cause I, I use a vinyl cutter and, mm-hmm. and just use a, um, a temporary adhesive vinyl. And that's for pieces usually that I've already cut by hand and want to rescale. And I can't really justify spending all that time resizing it to another size, or I can also make decals or a lot of different things on that machine. But I found one from maybe 2006 used and normally it'd be a machine that'd be five to $15,000. And I found one from a sign shop going out of business for like $400. So it seemed like a digestible little project to try it out. But the level of detail is probably only 75% of what a hand could do. And compared to what you could do, it's only 60% because it can really, the thinnest bridges it can do is probably a centimeter. And there's sometimes when like really fine details might only be a couple millimeters apart. And maintaining that, uh, just a machine doesn't have that level of accuracy. Maybe a laser is better than that, but I still think there are things that really a human hand is just, at least on a small scale, can't really compete. Yeah, that's fair. And it, so this was in a makerspace, so they had definitely a higher level laser than I would ever have home access to. So that was probably part of it. I don't know. I felt like it was more detailed because it was one I was like, I'm going to do this because and I tried to do it on like 11 by 17 because I wanted to see like how small it could cut small details and it banged everything out like perfectly. I was, I was really surprised. That's amazing. But then I cut it out by hand anyway. So (laughs) don't listen to me. No, it was, it was cool. But yeah, that's one of those things you kind of learn along the ways is we're talking about cutting and you kind of zone out, but I still find times where you kind of look at a piece and I kind of go out of order depending on what those bridges look like. Cause if it's super delicate and you wait too long, then you're kind of just screwed. Cause there's no way that you're going to get a clean cut out of that section. Cause you've got nothing else around it to either hold it in place or to, to put your hands really most of the time. Right. 
I started using a, a piece of cardstock over the top. I use Duralar 0.03. If anyone like uses paper but wants something that's more reusable and similar, that's probably what I'd recommend. But because it's a great material and the fact that you can reuse it um, many times is just so invaluable. Um, and you can use spray adhesive without any of the paper coming off. And so I really like that part of it. So do you draw it? Do you draw it on the mylar? Or you said you just put it over the paper and then just cut that way? Yeah, so I started doing printing it usually on eight and a half by 11 and then taping a bunch of those pieces of paper together and then taking the black shapes and using a white pen to create the bridges on top of the black so that it had my own shapes to it instead of what the computer generated. I've also tried drawing them by hand and usually taking a picture of them, putting them on the computer, vectorizing that, and then printing it out and then drawing on it again. Now I end up going on Photoshop and taking the layers and using a digital pen and draw, uh, using the erase tool to make the bridges. And so they all come out with such different results. I just found that I, I liked the format of being able to work on the computer, rescaling it easily instead of spending so much time uh, with the white pen, redrawing all these small lines, but they all produce such a different result. What do you, how do you do it? I'm kind of on the last one now. I started doing the bridges in Photoshop, like before I, before I print them out. So, and that's also because that's new to me. So I want to see what it looks like before I, I get to it. But that seems to be, I see guys that just draw them everywhere. Like Nils does it. He prints it out and draws all his bridges while he's cutting. And of course his stuff looks amazing. I just can't wrap my head around how, I just, I just don't see it like that. I can't picture it in my head, like what everything's going to look like if I draw this over there, you know? So doing it in Photoshop definitely helps me. Yeah. And the amount of time that we're putting into even the cutting process, I can't really justify getting to that end point and having it not turn out how I want. And especially if it's <laughs> multi-layered, if you don't know if this bridge is going to lead to a hole in the previous layer, you know, where you can see the background coming through, I'm just not willing to take that level of risk. But people <laughs> like Nils, or if you know Tank Petrol or Sm uh -huh. Smile out in Colorado, I'm just in awe of how they do that, especially when it comes to multiple colors in a single layer. I've been working a lot on trying to do that or work on different opacities or shading in single layers to give depth to fewer pieces. Because at one point I got up to doing pieces that had as much as like 25 layers. And that was a really fun process. But if you don't have the can skills, it's really hard to, unless you're, unless the layers are on set, uh, different parts of the canvas, you know, say you're doing one set of stencils for the background, one set of stencils for the eye region, another for the hair and all of that, they're going to overlap and cover up a lot of the work that you put in. So I was realizing mm -hmm. that probably a third of every stencil was being covered up by another and kind of, I couldn't justify spending a day or days on work that would just be covered up in the end other than maybe a slightly raised texture that's only visible to someone who's really paying attention. Hmm. 
That's interesting. So what what is kind of your happy place for layers at this point? I am really trying to see how much detail I can pack into five layers or less. I've been working a lot in single layers and trying to add shading, but just in terms of my level of can skills, it's come down to the point of three layers being the best. And right now I'm kind of stuck in a monochrome phase of black, white, and grays, but I'd like to incorporate more colors and that just comes with spending more time. Like I said, I've spent so much time on the stenciling aspect. I haven't learned as much as I could in terms of shading or color palettes and all of that. And that's something I'm trying to digest more to create interesting backgrounds because I'm so focused on the subject and also just how light plays on a subject and all of that. I'm really trying to become more rounded. So I'm not just focusing on whether a line is curved, is it pointy, is it boxy, all those aspects. It really becomes all-encompassing trying to put all those pieces together. It's funny, right? Because you you get into this and you're like, oh, I'm just going to cut it out and spray paint through it. And then depending on how how far you want to progress, there's all these little little micro skills that you need to learn along the way. So it's, you know, you just listed four or five different things that that you're trying to work on kind of at once. It just gets, um, I guess it can be as simple or as, as complex as you want it to be in this in this hobby. Yeah, and especially with stencils being minimalist in compared to, say, fine drawing or a lot of these skills, I realized that a lot of my early works are so focused on the eyes to give some sort of life to the portrait. But then I realized that pretty much all of my pieces were facing directly forward which becomes boring after a while versus having people look in different directions including more bodies instead of just faces and so it really has to become holistic at a certain point to create all these elements of interest and so that it's not just appealing to other stencilers (laughs) that's the thing right yeah i feel like at some points i'm like i said this to my wife at one point it's like, I feel like I'm just trying to impress the other people that know how to do this, not make something that um, people that don't know, have no idea what it is, would care about. So that's definitely a trap to, uh, you kind of have to avoid at some point, I think. Exactly. And th- that's why I got the vinyl cutter too, because I realized that whether it be the Reddit thread or uh, people like Nils or you that do it all by hand, I was realizing that I was thinking too much about, oh, they're going to think I'm a fraud because I'm doing it all with a machine. <laughs> but I'm realizing I'm still putting so much time into design and even weeding the uh, those vinyl versions and then being able to spray it in a way that looks good still takes so much time and being able to create more subjects and focus on what I'm creating and getting more work out into the world. It just it became a different set of priorities and realized I didn't need to try to impress anyone other than just trying to make myself happy and make something that people like to look at. Yeah, no, I don't judge anyone's process. I mean, whatever, whatever you want to do. I mean, who am I to say that you have to hand cut everything or, or whatever, you know, it's, you're the one putting the time into it. So whatever makes sense to you, whatever you want to do. No, I would never say, I would never say 
Oh, well, he just laser cut it because I still know all the the steps that go into it. So, right. I think there's still like a, a mutual respect amongst all of us that just because we know it goes into it, even if the methods are different, you know. I think that's totally right. And the thought of even though I've been busy with a lot of projects, I have about five to ten stencils sitting on the floor around me, ready to just go in my paint or garage and paint. So the idea of when I'm ready, just being able to create something new and see how it's going to look on a canvas, at least in Portland, I end up uh, just taking my drill and drilling them into uh, telephone poles around town which is a way to just give something people beautiful to look at and kind of getting it out of my house. And so that other people <laughs> get a chance to look at it. I don't know that that's just really exciting to me versus I got really disheartened by this. I tried to go to that next extreme level of detail on a piece that was three feet by six feet. And this beard of the person I was doing was six layers and so detailed that just on one layer, I'd spent a month and a half on just the beard of this portrait. And I just got to the point where I was thinking, what the hell am I doing? Who am I trying to impress? And what am I going to get out of this? And then I ended up never finishing it and just posted the PDF of what I was going to create. And it got more likes than I think anything I've ever posted on Instagram. So. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so it just realized I had to get out of my own way in terms of creating new stuff. Yeah, I think at some point we all just kind of want to see what we're capable of with doing it. So that totally. might be part of it. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, if I got a month into something of one one layer, I might reevaluate my priorities uh, for that moment. But I kind of want to go back. You talked about like how much there's to learn with painting, and then I was thinking about when I talked with Mowgli, he would say he would do stencil workshops sometimes, and I kind of want to tie this into those videos you made. He would do it kind of backwards of how I would think about it. He would teach them like how to. He would bring like pre-cut stencils. And teach people how to paint first. Whereas I would like go into and like teach people how to cut. And I just thought that was an interesting, interesting way of looking at it. Cause that is probably the more I think about it, that probably is the move to get them to learn that part and then learn the cutting. Totally. I've had sort of a weird process of stenciling opportunities within my first year, a friend of mine, mom uh, runs a mission in Mexico and they invited me to come paint a mural for them uh, at a school down in Mexico and to teach at the local school how to stencil. And so I realized just based on the age group I was working with, it was three to five-year-olds that they weren't going to be allowed to use <laughs> scissors or knives. So I just took a bunch of pop art characters of free stencils I found online and just cut those all out and took down maybe 10 to 20 of them and gave them sponge brushes, which was just such a digestible way because a little kid could slop some paint on a stencil of a horse peel it back and they still got that joy of that peel reveal that we were talking about without that huge time commitment of anything else going into it you know say I only had 15 minutes with each group of kids and yet they're all coming away with a beautiful work of art that they feel like they created so I think Mowgli was so spot on about creating that love of stencils 
and then learning how to cut afterwards because you got to have something that you're yearning after versus trying to <laughs> instill this idea like oh you got to be patient at first this is going to take you forever um that's hard to convince kids of and if not i think it's just people looking at shepherd fairy or deface or banksy or any of these people and saying oh i want to create something like that and then doing the sort of reverse osmosis process that a lot of us went through of then searching online or finding other people that did it and trying to learn some of their skills and translate that into our own format mm-hmm. it's probably hard to to send that home like give a kid like hey you have this homework Go take a couple of weeks and cut this out and then come back and I'll show you how to paint it. That's probably a hard sell when you're uh, trying to teach somebody how to do that. And it might come out like crap, you know, yeah. <laughs> they might come out with a really subpar product. And especially that like fine knife work is not that digestible, especially if you don't have a cutting mat, doing it on cardboard or something else creates so much resistance that you're likely to cut yourself or just come out with jagged lines and then if it's not sprayed properly especially with spray paint it's going to just have so much overspray that most of the detail will be gone so um that's a problem i've had just showing my friends my age uh giving them one of my stencils and letting them try to paint with it they put so much paint on it even with uh spray adhesive all of it bleeds together and sort of kills all the detail so i found that sponge brushes was a technique of how they used to do old-fashioned wallpapering and things like that and so i realized that that might be a digestible way for people to try it and so those roller sponge brushes are quite a gem for people just trying to test it out yeah that's a great idea and then you that also gives you the op option of doing it inside whereas spray paint you're gonna have to be outside no matter what so that opens up your your options. Yeah. And when I was, since I started in Australia, I kind of thought that iron lac was an industry standard and didn't realize it was such an Australia heavy brand. <laughs> so over there, I got connected with a couple artists that were uh, sales reps. So I was paying like two to $3 Australian per can uh, for sugar lac, which is a uh, a paint with none of the VOCs so you can paint inside and you don't need a mask or anything like that. But being able to pay a dollar fifty American for cans just really made it so much more approachable than now. I usually get belt on Molotow through Art Primo, an online website. And if you buy over 75 bucks it's only six dollars a can or something but that's still quite a higher benchmark than just being able to use rust-oleum or any of those things but i've just always thought if you're going to create something that people are going to be able to cherish for a long time it sort of has to be a certain level of quality so it, they don't just watch it deteriorate in their space you know mm -hmm. yeah that was kind of my progression was was rusto to i used iron lac for a long time and then um, now i use 94 for pretty much everything have you tried molotow i have not i see a lot of people that use it but no i've never i've never tried it i think that 94s have a better range of grayscale um and 
probably the best out of any brand. Sometimes I supplement with some of the gold line of Montana uh, to create like a full uh, black to white spectrum. But in terms of color palettes, if you're not good at mixing two cans of spray paint to create a third color, Molotow has like 200 different colors and the variable spray nozzle based on how much pressure you put on the can is how intense it is versus say on a 94, it's low pressure. And if you press down less, you're just going to get splatter or something. So having that variable where you can create good fills, but also dust it with fine details, I've just really become addicted to that. It's a bit thinner paint, but still very high opacity. And so it just doesn't clog my caps as much. And that has been huge because I don't know if you use a can of acetone or anything for your caps, but I just have pretty much a garbage bag or, or a small garbage bag full of caps at this point, And it just feels a little wasteful. Maybe I'll put them in resin at some point, but I just don't really know what to do with them. Yeah, no, I got the same thing. I've got little jars, glass jars full of them everywhere. No, I don't clean them. I, I try to like spray them upside down when I'm done with that layer until it goes clear to kind of clear it out. But I don't always do that. And then I come back and it's clogged and I have to, I have to order everything online. There's nowhere here I can just go to the store and, and buy something. So, um, yeah, that's, that would definitely be a, a time saver. I've seen people that do like maybe like lamps with them, be like a big bottom and put the caps in there. Yeah. That, that might be something to be kind of cool. Yeah, I've thought about you could also do a table with a recessed edge and then glue them in place and then resin pour over the top of that could be a cool effect. I don't know if you've ever seen, I think her name is Janet Morello, does them encased in like, say, like a mold of some other shape of say a flower and it's got caps inside of it or things like that which can be kind of cool i just it's fun to give things like that a second life or same with all these uh used blades we have we just have such a throwaway culture so finding artsy ways to sort of bring a new life to it seems like a fun twist i don't know if i want to accept the liability of turning all these blades into something but (laughs) (laughs) everything else yeah i've seen people make um kind of like flowers out of the spray paint cans too if you open them up yeah kind of make little sculptures out of that yeah it's definitely it's definitely stuff um that you can do with them so i think i had messaged you originally about i saw all those that little video series you did yeah can you, you talk a little bit about that Yeah, so when I was going out to look for videos, uh, you said since I started later, there's probably a lot more out there, but there really isn't a lot of good stuff. And I think it's because people feel a little bit protective of their process once they get to a certain point. And so I was trying to find a way to articulate that to other people and share it with more audiences. And also just looking at all these different artists out here, how you make your stencils versus how Mowgli does versus how Teacher One does or RX Skulls. There's so many different formats or combinations of the above to be able to bring that to life. And I think that would be such an interesting thing. I've been so interested in podcasts and uh, I thought about doing something like that, but I realized that a video format was probably better. Working by myself ended up becoming the biggest limitation because I was having 
my phone plus a camera to create different angles and trying to get all that content was sort of a challenge and I didn't get a lot of response, but the people who did use it were so thankful for it. So it's something I'd like to get back to, but it's just maybe YouTube might be a better format, but there's just some skills out there that are missing. You know, I didn't find out about the stencil spiders until maybe a year and a half into my process. And before that, I was using a toothpick in my mouth. I mean, not a toothpick, sorry, a chopstick in my mouth or in one hand while spraying with the other hand or using multiple chopsticks or anything like that. But then the bridges got too small where I couldn't even use a chopstick without creating more overspray. Yep. So there's just so many skills that aren't really out there and they don't need to be proprietary. It's like people would still have to spend all this time bringing it to life. And if they're going to do that, they should be welcomed into the community. So I just don't like that idea of gatekeeping information. And I just thought that giving people a chance to see all that goes into it might be interesting too. Yeah, for sure. And I think, and, and Anthony was one of the first guys that I saw making videos about all that stuff. And then he made a video about the spiders eventually because I think he got tired of so many people asking him about it because he used to have it in all his photos. And now I see him everywhere. And, you know, I have some and they're it's a little genius little invention for something, I don't know, so simple, but you didn't realize you needed it until it showed up in your life kind of thing. I'd, I'd always used different size magnets, you know, from the back of uh, things that you'd put on the fridge. There's ones from a centimeter all the way up in size. And so I would just put those or rocks or coins all over my paintings and then use spray adhesive ended up filling the gaps. But now finding those stencil spiders, I don't know how you could get around using those, especially if you're using paper and trying to go to those high level details. So people sharing those skills, it's just such a blessing kind of i kind of gave up worrying about overspray at a certain point i think um i don't know it kind of it just grows on me if it's not just obscene and and just messy i kind of like the the little texture it adds to the pieces so i'm not as i'm not as crazy about making sure everything is is weighed down as i was you know maybe a couple years ago yeah, I think that's spot on. I, I also think it's all about intentionality because there are some parts, you know, if you're going around the eyes or certain details can be washed out so easily by a little overspray or I've made the mistake of not masking off the edge. You know, if your stencil only covers one third of a piece and you don't tape just right around the edge with something blocking the rest and you end up with a box around it. So it's just all about whether it's intentional or not. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll just pretend it's intentional. It looks good. And then if it doesn't, I, I won't acknowledge the mistake. So <laughs> that'll be, that'll be the move. Uh, I also wanted to ask you, I went through some of your Reddit posts and like your progression on using bridges was pretty noticeable. Like you posted a piece and I wrote it down cause I didn't know who it was. Is blue in exile? Am I saying yeah. that right? Yeah. So you had a piece there that you posted, and and Nils and Mowgli commented on it, and then kind of your progression from there to how you do bridges now. Like, how did you? What was your process for figuring all that out? Because it's so very different. Not that that one looked bad. I don't know if I'm phrasing this correctly, but 
it's it's a very different, a very distinct progression. If that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Um, I don't know if you know the so Blue and Exile are just a couple musician rappers. One is a rapper, one's a producer, and I was connecting with them that way. But that piece, I realized that I was layering in a way where I was covering up most of the work I was doing behind it. And then over time, I was trying to find a way to stylize what I was doing. And I realized that stenciling is such a form of breaking down images in such a literal way. And so I thought about like crumbling or destruction or separation of things. And so I wanted to put that into some of the final pieces. And so now in a lot of my more recent works, it's about how to put things back together in a way that you can tell its pieces almost like a puzzle but also shows a little bit of the fragility of the art form or of the subject. And I'm trying to, I don't know. I I think I like the idea of breaking things down and have it still be digestible as what it's supposed to be. I was also inspired by, I don't know if you've seen the work of Toxico Mono or Hoaxin. Um, Hoaxin is from Mexico, I think, and Toxico Mono is a group in Colombia where I was living but they have this way of breaking things down into pieces where it's so evident that it's pieces but then it's so evident of what the subject or or what you're trying to create as a whole so I like that idea of it being like a puzzle and I'm deciding how the pieces fit together Hmm. oh that's interesting okay I see what you're saying so you're breaking it up but not in a way where it distracts from the actual piece yeah because if if i just went off of making bridges only where they needed to be to make the image then anyone could make it but where i choose to make those lines cross someone's face or break up a shape that's already there um that becomes what i'm contributing to an image that a computer can't do and how i'm sort of differentiating in that way Okay. Oh, so are you talking about like the difference between, say, structural bridges and artistic bridges? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm with you now. Okay. What were you meaning? When you said make the image, I just thought you were talking about the artistic choices, but now I see what you're saying. Like the the ones you have to draw to literally keep the <laughs> keep the image together. Right, versus, right, exactly. Yeah, design choices. Yeah, I'm with you. Okay. Um, I'm a little slow. You have to... <laughs> no, you're good. <laughs> um, but on that Blue and Exile piece, I am still so proud of that one because that was before I knew how to do registration marks. And so I was just lining up by eye all these pieces that are, at least on certain portions, pretty much as thin as I could possibly do even to this day. So there's it's interesting how there's certain elements, even from my early pieces, that I try to look back on positively, even if I think, oh, I would do that differently. I know I'm not going to go back and do that, so I might as well take the elements I like, try to learn something from that, and push that forward into what I can create in the future. Because today, I would still say the piece that sells the most what people want from me is still that love over hate which was I think the third painting I ever did and 
<laughs> for a long time, I kind of hated that. But now I realize that the message and the basic, simple lines is something so digestible and means so many different things to certain people versus some of what I create now is more going towards that fine art and appeals to less people or maybe a different audience. And it's interesting how that sort of plays out. I wonder why that is. I, I wonder at a certain point is people just don't want to put in the effort to understanding what's going on and that something simple is more appealing for that reason. Or I don't know. But I'm always like impressed by stuff that's that's simpler that gets a message across and is clear. And, you know, it's readable. That's always impressive to me, like doing so much with with not not much imagery. And that's where the multiple colors on a single layer come in. Because for so long, when I was learning, it was how can I get more complex? How can I make every edge have more and more detail? And then going back, it's people are attracted to something that can mean something to everyone. It's basic shapes. It's instantly understandable versus that high level of detail it's going to appeal to less people and they might have that same level of intense joy about it but it's it's specific you know it's exact versus ones when things are simple it has that ability to be understood differently by so many different people mm -hmm. yeah that makes sense are there any essential artists out in your area i know one of the moderators on Reddit's out in Portland, I think that uh, J, uh, JFG, is out in your your area. I think he's on the Oregon coast, um, which is about an hour and a half away from Portland, but still just mm -hmm. a skip away. Probably the biggest artists for stencils in Portland are Scam, Vox Romana, RX Skulls, and I think those are probably the three main people I think of. Another one who I started with and have done a couple murals with is Lambtown42. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoy his work. He has helped me a lot of the way and he's someone who I kind of message back and forth with. We spit ideas together. Also Girl Spit up in Tacoma, which is about three hours north of me. But it's really interesting because Vox, Scam, and RX sort of started at the same time, and whether they're doing linoleum blocks or stencils, they are sort of in that next echelon and next age group, and sort of the, there's sort of a disconnect there where it's that's always felt a little bit distant or less attainable, so we sort of have this younger generation, not in terms of age, just but just in terms of experience. And we sort of all relate on learning together and finding opportunities together. Uh, and that's how it's sort of separated, I guess. Well, that's cool. You still have all those resources in kind of your general vicinity, especially something that you can just go paint with, um, do those murals with. Yeah, totally. And th that was one of the one of the only bright spots of this uh, COVID pandemic 
has been being able to paint on boarded up businesses. And so when it first hit and businesses were closed down, uh, Lambtown and I and other artists were just going up to local businesses and asking if we could take some paints and paint what we wanted on the front of their storefront. And a lot of businesses were so down with that and getting the opportunity to paint at scale. It's one of those things to get opportunities to paint murals, you sort of have to have experience and they want to see your portfolio and stuff. But it becomes a catch 22 where no one's going to give you an opportunity until you've had an opportunity to paint. And mm-hmm. it's, it's sort of like getting a job in an industry. Right. They want you to have X amount of years of experience doing it. So getting this low pressure and knowing, at least at that point, a lot of those businesses were only closed for a few weeks. It was going up. You got to create something beautiful and it might've been temporary, but you got the opportunity. A lot of people got to see it. Maybe it got tagged over, but you still got to go out and brighten people's experience for a little bit. No, that is funny with like with the jobs. Yeah. They want you to have the experience, but nobody wants to give you the opportunity to to gain that experience so it's really a uh, a lose-lose situation totally i know i asked you about it before we started recording but if you could tell your uh about your name what that means yeah so when i was younger i used to tag z rage and that was just in notebooks or just with a sharpie places and then over time it sort of uh, evolved to a longer phrase, which was Zob, or I guess that's shorter. Um, and that came, <laughs> that came from um, podcasts that I used to listen to or still listen to that would replace pod in the name of God in different phrases. And so I started using the phrase in Zob we trust, which was just sort of this idea of breaking tradition, not trying to hold any idols and just sort of playing fun with a common phrase. And so Zob sort of stuck around. It's also a brand of bong in California, but no relation there. And now I just really love the combination of letters and it helps me disconnect from my own identity in terms of creating and putting paintings or stickers or decals out in the streets and people who know will be able to connect that back to me but I don't have to worry about getting in trouble for vandalism or property destruction I'm not really into tagging or doing illegal pieces anymore, but just being able to create art and put it out in the world, you never know who's going to be bothered by that and try to get you in trouble for it. So it's a way to be able to create and have it a little bit separated from my day-to-day life. There's So there's times I wished I just used my real name for everything, but at this point I'm kind of like pot committed to the name I chose. But yeah, that makes sense to kind of have that separation. Um, of course, then with the podcast, I am using my name, so it's kind of all <laughs> it's kind of all that effort for nothing. But yeah, it's funny. I listened to some of those, like Pod Save America. I've listened to that before. I think. Do you listen to Useful Idiots at all, Matt Taibbi's podcast? No, I haven't heard that one. They have some sort of rivalry going on. It sounds like a one sided, where they do not like the Pod Save America people for yeah. some reason. It's it's interesting though. He was a journalist for uh, Rolling Stone, and he's written some books. And uh, I really like him. It's a if you like politics, it's an interesting podcast. 
Yeah, it's one of those things that, especially right now, um, bef- before there were such different sides and things to get fired up about, I was wanting to learn more about how to get involved in a lot of that process. But right now, since I think people are all on a similar thread of wanting things to get back to some sense of normalcy, wanting to tamp down the epidemic and get on some road to economic recovery. I just, I'd rather get the news in the most digestible form in the shortest amount of time. So recently I've been listening to Up First, which is just NPR and the daily and post reports, because that's such a digestible glimpse into what's happening in the world. And then the rest of the time, I really like listening to podcasts like Freakonomics is one of my favorites. Throughline is a great history podcast that takes commonly known events and gives you the backstory of previous events or other world cultures or other things that you don't kind of know that inform what's going on in a different light. And I, I really appreciate some of those or podcasts like this are so digestible when I'm stenciling, you know, which are just conversations between people giving you insights into how people think. I really appreciate those. And then uh, journalistic storytelling, you know, things like This American Life or Radio Lab or any of those, or just being able to dive into a story like that where it's journalism, but it's also romantic and really getting involved in a story. There's just so many beautiful formats out there. It's just like if you're like me, where you spend all day listening to podcasts, you start running out of good things to listen to. Um, and I can't stand the true crime. I think that's the only genre I haven't really dived into. But other than that, I spend a lot of my day listening to podcasts. Yeah, same here. I got back into audiobooks. I just listened to uh, Into the Wild oh, uh, great. a couple of days ago because he was on. Well, he was going to be on a podcast. Uh, that I normally listen to called the uh, the press box. And so they interviewed him. So I listened to that book, but yeah, that's what I do all day. Like I, I work from home. So I listen to random sports podcasts, Texas politics, bunch of random shit. So it's definitely a, a good way to pass the day. Totally. I, I think I'll be back into politics. I think I just hit this point of spending a year or two of spending all my energy of how to counteract policies I really disagreed with and stuff. It just sort of became overwhelming, especially when it reached this point where I felt like I couldn't have much impact. But then seeing that swing in the election and uh, things turning Democrat in Georgia were just really invigorating. And it'll be interesting to see what the next steps are. I'm pretty progressive, so I'm just hoping that all these trains will keep moving and that um, even with the Democrat in office, we'll still see some instrumental change, but that'll just be, it'll just take time to see that. I just kind of think we got too many old people in office right now for us to get as much change as I would like, but I don't know. That's, that's Portland, man. We start at liberal and go all the way to anarchy. So. <laughs> We're we're definitely more liberal, but of course we live in East Texas, which is very conservative. So it's an interesting, uh, it's it's an interesting environment here. Like we're definitely in the minority, and I don't 
talk about that stuff with a lot of people just because, you know, it just never goes anywhere. And it doesn't have to, like from their side, it doesn't have to because we've had the same representatives for 20 years. Like what's what's there to talk about, you know? I, th- I think that's spot on. I, I've really tried to stop being so aggressive about it. At this point, I just think that extending human rights to more people and making things more fair is always a good thing. But when it comes at the expense of people, I can sort of understand why they would be resistant and feel like uh, we're coming for them or something. So I just mm-hmm. try to am trying to be more empathetic of where people are coming from and realize I can't change everyone's mind, but we do have the power to vote and choose who we support. So I think that's kind of what I've taken away from it. Kind of maybe manage your expectations a little more and stay, take the steps that you that you can take to do an incremental change. Yeah. Yeah, it's overwhelming. You look at the whole thing like, well, what am I going to do? It's like I'm going to run for office and overhaul the system myself, you know? Totally. All right. Well, now that we've we've pissed everyone off with uh, <laughs> politics talk. <laughs> so, well, all right, man, what we usually do to wrap up is, and this will be really interesting coming from you, I think, because you're a couple years, two, three years into it. What's some advice you would give to somebody that is starting from scratch, getting getting going in stencil art? Wow. Um, I would really recommend um finding a local community of places where you can interact with other people doing art it depends if you want to do it as a hobby or just a a passion project or something you want to make money off of um creating more forms of your artwork is one way to um make it more accessible to more people creating things like uh, stickers and prints Taking really good photographs of your artwork is something that I have never taken as seriously as I should, but I've noticed from my own work and from others, if you're willing to take the time to take good photographs, you're going to get a lot better response, even though some of the best stencilers I've ever seen are small, no-name people from around the world, but they're using a low-quality flip phone or something to take their photos. Other than that, I think it's going to take a long time to get the level of hand control and other things that you want, but dedicating some amount of time, whether it be every day or every few days, it's just a period of repetition of getting that experience and getting it onto paper. I think also reaching out to other stencilers is such an invaluable asset. Because whether it be you or me or Mowgli was willing to talk to me when I was still a no-name and doing pretty subpar work, but getting some advice that way, learning tips and tricks, and being willing to be creative in your thievery. I don't mean copying other people's (laughs) work, but finding things you like in other people's other people's repertoire and finding ways to mimic that. And that doesn't mean straight up copying, but taking some of the techniques they have and sort of seeing how you could lend that in your own work. I also think backgrounds are something that are sort of a hard skill to incorporate into your own work, but realizing that that can add so much interest to the piece 
and really bring the full thing together. I doing this simple uh, black stencil on white background or doing a space background or any of those things are great ways to learn, but realizing that stencils are still often a three-dimensional work. So realizing that it doesn't exist alone in space was something that I'm still trying to incorporate to this day. Yeah, no, that's great. Well, my, my hate, my hatred of backgrounds is well established on this podcast, so that's still uh, <laughs> that's that's still something I'm working on too. But no, that's great advice, man. So I know you're on the on Instagram. Anywhere else that people can get in touch with you? Yeah, I've got a website. It's inzobwetrust.com. I'm on Reddit, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, would love to interact with anyone who has interest, or if you want stickers or art. If you mention this podcast, I'll probably send you some stickers for free or give you a sweet deal on a painting. At this point, art hasn't really been moving. So just being able to connect with people who really enjoy the work, I just want to get it out there in a way that people can enjoy it. Oh, are we are we doing a code? I'm going to feel like a, a legit podcast. We start handing out codes for, for merch. <laughs> Uh, I don't have one now, but just send, send me a message on Instagram and I'll, I'll probably just pay for shipping and I'll send you some. Stuff. That's funny. So, all right, man, this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate the time. Hey, thank you so much for having me. And uh, thanks for creating this great format. Absolutely, man. I'm just, I'm just still amazed that anyone listens. So I'll, I'll keep doing it as long as people listen. Okay, great. So, all right, man, we'll take care. You too. Thanks again to Zav for coming on the show, and thanks to all of you for listening. As always, send all comments and suggestions to deathbypaperguttspod at gmail.com, or you can hit me up on Instagram at in the perimeter. See you next time.